Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. My name is Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. We are here each and every week to give you the very best in entertainment. And uh, we like to do that by starting off giving you the very best in entertainment news. And it's been a newsy kind of week, Jeff. We've got plenty to go for, so let's dive right into it. Right. Sit back. You are cordially invited to enjoy Screen Cleaning. Did you see what I did there, Cole? I think that I'll find out. There was a soon. tip of the hat to the marketing campaign of a little film called Downton Abbey. Oh, I feel more regal as we talk. <laughs> yes, yes. You can you can stop bowing now, Cole. Sorry. Um this is an exciting day if you're a fan of Downton Abbey because the movie is finally out based on the pop culture phenomenon that is Downton Abbey. The TV show. Yes. And uh, finally, you will have some of the questions answered that you didn't even know that you had because the TV series kind of tied everything up and, and presented it in a nice little bow. But the good news is Julian Fellows, who created the TV show, was a producer on this movie, and he also wrote the film. So it's in good hands, right, Cole? But Hollywood is no stranger to giving us something that we didn't necessarily think that we want. The first couple pieces of news I want to bring to you are a couple reboots of classics and and personal favorites of yours, Jeff. I want to know if this causes you more excitement or just dread that Hollywood might be ruining a couple of your favorite films to <laughs> talk about. <laughs> Well, I think the first one you're talking about is The Fugitive. Yes. Right? Based on a television show, as we will end up talking about later on today. Right. So um, I've seen – in fact, I own every episode of the TV show The Fugitive. I haven't gotten through the entire thing yet. but Dedicated of you. You can see why it was a huge hit when it was out in the 60s. And uh, the movie is one of the greatest movies ever created. Probably a perfect film. Says Jeff. Yes, come on. It's one of those movies that anytime it's on TV, you'll sit down and you'll watch it. Yes, even, you will. Even if you own it. Which you do. Are you not a fugitive fan, Cole? Not as much as you. You really, really love this movie. I think it's okay. Hollywood is looking to possibly cash in on people like you, Jeff, that love it as they look towards remaking it. So, Cole, wait. You're saying you don't you don't like it as much as I do? Yes, I don't care. Uh huh. I knew I was walking into some <laughs> quote. Didn't know what it would be. Oh my goodness! There was a variety. You had choices. All right. So, what's the other reboot that we want to talk about here? Well, Cole? another one of your favorite movies, quite possibly your favorite movie. And if you could quote the Fugitive, I am positive that you can pull out just a couple of quotes out of your back pocket of the Princess Bride. Uh. Uh, it would take a miracle for me to be able to do that, Cole. There you go. It was inconceivable that you wouldn't be able to anyway. Right. So what's this potentially horrible news that you want to share with me? Variety. We, we know that we only like to talk about the good news, but that we have to talk about this. Variety tweeted that Sony Pictures Entertainment has said that there are, quote, very famous people whose names I won't use, sounding Trumpian of him, who want to redo The Princess Bride. To which the star of The Princess Bride, Carrie Elwes, uh, quote, tweeted him, There is a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a pity to damage this one. Right. Pulling I, another quote. I out saw of his back some pocket. of the tweets, and one guy said, I try to be like 
the most optimistic person that I know how to be, and I'm always willing to give remakes and reboots a chance. Having said that, don't touch the Princess Bride. (laughs) I think they would have to do something completely different. It would take some very famous people to pull it off. Probably no, no one, no one is really excited for this. This this was like a test the waters. I think kind of tweet. Maybe someone in Sony leaked it before it even actually had hit any planning stages, just to see what the public's reaction would be. Unsurprisingly, it was sort of negative. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's our that's the reboot news, but um, there's also some good news if you don't like Hulu but you like Netflix, and this seems like a a no brainer move on the part of Netflix, as a lot of its most popular shows are starting to jump ship to be a part of their own streaming services. Seinfeld is going to be moving from Hulu to Netflix in 2021. Woo. This is good news for people who actually like the show, Cole. That's me and uh, every other living person with a pulse. Also, I guess good news for Netflix because they get to keep something that isn't just one of their originals. Right. But they're losing Friends. They're losing The Office. And those are two huge shows on their service. And they're going to have to start competing with Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, and Warner Brothers and the new HBO One. I think Warner Brothers is the HBO, HBO One. HBO Max. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That, darn it. Right when I was about to cancel my Netflix subscription, I they still pulled me will. back in. <laughs> yeah. I think that was their plan, Jeff. Yeah. Um, speaking of pleasant surprises... I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised when they logged online on Sunday or, I'm sorry, Monday morning, and they realized that over the weekend there was a secret that had been revealed that people are kind of getting excited about. And it has to do with an eight-minute short film that you can watch for free on YouTube with no ads. Cole, you still have not watched it. No, but we're about to give you a sneak peek. For all of those that aren't sure what we're talking about. The ranger said that we should just stay calm and wait for it to go away. You heard what happened up north. Those were carnivores. That's an herbivore. Now, so does Heratops. How do you know? Because of the horns. Get your phone from me. There's another one. Sounds so quaint and cute. It's a baby triceratops. (laughs) Until... Wait a minute. I I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of the music ominously changing either. And that is the roar of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And there's really only one franchise out there that can cash in on the roar of the T-Rex. And that is a Jurassic World kind of... Short, right? You remember back when, or uh, you know, I think about a year or so ago, when Netflix surprised us with a secret Cloverfield movie, and people were so excited until they watched the movie. And I still haven't seen it, but um, this is something that is a, a genius marketing move because it's getting people excited about the next chapter in the Jurassic World universe galaxy. 
uh, world. Existence. Um, the Jurassic World, yes. as it were. The Battle of Big Rock is what this is called, if you're trying to Google it at home. And it's just a little slice of what this new movie could look like. And, right? the, and the new world that we live in with dinosaurs roaming around. I, I love how kind of casual the family is talking. They're kind of in their trailer as they're just out camping and a, tyrannos- or a, a triceratops at first kind of ambles through their and camp. And a baby triceratops. And a baby triceratops. But the little girl says something hap- like that happened at uh, her school one day and the other, the dad says, you heard what happened up north, right? Yeah. So this is just kind of the new Jurassic World that they've established where you just kind of have to deal with, you know, and and then after the T-Rex inevitably, you know, tries to eat the herbivores because it's a carnivore, you know, the dad just says, well, that's that's nature, kids, just like you would if it was a bear coming through or any of the animals that we're used to. I think he felt differently when the T-Rex was done with the Triceratops and was moving on to something else. But, um, you know, it's interesting because if you're not familiar with this film, uh, the the last film left off with a lot of these dinosaurs uh, being released out into the open. And I thought it was so exciting because as as little as I've liked this new franchise, I like where they're taking it because now it's kind of becoming this Planet of the Apes type idea where it's the humans versus the dinosaurs out in the open. And, uh, ooh, I can't wait. It looks good. Now, if you're looking for something to do with your weekend in October, and uh, when I say October, I'm sorry, in November, November 26th, you might want to fly to Great Britain and stay the night at a very famous castle. Cole, do you know the castle of which I'm speaking? Is it an abbey? Is it Downton Abbey? Highclere Castle, which you might know as Downton Abbey, uh-huh. is opening its doors for one night only to 300, for 300 rooms, and it's going to be on Airbnb, and there's an application process, and you have to be a huge Downton Abbey fan. So Cole, 300 you... rooms is normal. It's amazing how cramped the inside of that castle can feel when sure. they shoot it, and yet every time we have a big scoping shot of the outside, it looks like you could fit. Right, three hundred people very comfortably. How cool in is it. this? How much? How much money would you say one of these rooms would go for on Airbnb for one night only? Oh, thousands, plural. How about a hundred fifty nine dollars for the one night, Cole? Oh, I mean, I would do that. Yeah, and I, would... I don't even. I've seen three episodes of Downton. Okay, if if you're listening and you have any part of the application process. Cole Wissinger is not a huge Downton Abbey fan. I, on the other hand, have seen every single episode and the movie. I really, really will get into this. (laughs) I enjoy Downton Abbey. I just haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Well, we can't wait to tell you what we thought of the movie later on in the program. But up next, we're seeing this big theme, speaking of Downton Abbey hitting the theaters this weekend. Over the years, we've seen a lot of different TV shows be turned into movies using the same casts that we've come to know and love on TV. But now they have a much bigger canvas to play with. And the results are sometimes good and maybe sometimes not so good. Cole and I are going to break down all the different uh, movies that have been that have come from TV shows. And we can't wait to give you some of our recommendations. That's all up next on Screen Cleaning. No play. 
place I can be since I found serenity. But you can't take the sky from me. Ooh, Cole, you're going to have to tell me what that music is. I'm not familiar the with it. The fact that I have to tell you, Jeff, is just a constant sorrow. It's it's really a failure on my part on this program that you still can't recognize the greatest television show of all time just by its theme song. Which is? Which is Firefly. Oh, my goodness. You heard it here first, folks. Firefly is the greatest, single most greatest television show single ever. season of television that's okay. ever happened interesting well i'll have to check it out well as you know today is a day that we've all been waiting for we were on pins and needles because we are cordially invited to wow. attend a screening of downton abbey is how they marketed the movie very proper right and the movie is based obviously on the hugely successful pbs television show downton abbey And they're bringing back all these characters, and Cole and I can't wait to give you our review of this film. And uh, But it made us think, you know, how many other TV shows out there found a second life on the big screen? So we want to talk about that today, about movies that were based on TV shows and some did really well and some not so well. And and it's an interesting idea of why the TV sh- why the movie had to happen after the TV show, right? We came into Firefly which famously only got one season because it was canceled by Fox after that. But it it gained a large cult following and so a few years after when people were buying up the DVD copies or VHS maybe at the time, they realized, "Oh, this fan base still yearns for a continuation of their story. Uh the all the creators involved and the actors are still passionate about these people that they've grown to love, and so let's make a movie to appease the fans." And then the movie, similarly, not a great commercial success when Serenity was released. Right. So we wanted to to kind of break these down into individual categories and talk about some of our favorites and maybe talk about some of the ones that weren't so successful and maybe for good reason. I'll have fun with that. (laughs) So the first category we want to tackle here is... Movies that are a continuation of the TV shows, meaning that they use the same stars, they use the same uh, crew, maybe even the same director, writers. Uh, And obviously Downton Abbey is one of those, and we'll have a review for that later on in the show. But I think one of the biggest success stories here, Cole, is a film that was based on a TV show that is actually still on the air. The longest running sitcom ever. Because it'll never end. The Simpsons. Yeah. Right? Now, this is a movie that came out back in 2007, and it just made a ton of money. They had some really great marketing tie-ins to this film. And, uh, you know, I think now that Disney owns 20th Century Fox... There is possibly some talk of maybe doing a Simpsons sequel. The problem with doing a movie also while you're doing a TV show is that who are you going to hire to do it? Because everybody that would do the movie is working on the TV show. Well, because The Simpsons is kind of unique. That movie showed up in between seasons 18 and 19. It's not like what I mentioned with Firefly, where they had to bring the characters back because they'd kind of moved on with their lives to revisit the characters and the stories that were left hanging by a sudden cancellation. The Simpsons kind of has that constant 
understanding that it can go as long as it really wants to. So the movie made a ton of money, as we've established. But did you like it, Cole? Yes. Better. And I think (laughs) (laughs) the Simpsons movie was at least better than a couple of the seasons that were right around it, right? Because early season Simpsons is better. Yes. The film does capture some of that, but it it raises an interesting thing that the film kind of almost has a different animation. It looks different, and it was right around when the animation of The Simpsons was kind of changing over into CG and going into widescreen HD, and you kind of see that transition in all of TV right around 2007-2008 of it looking more cinematic. Yeah. And, you know, another film, we we won't go into depth on this one, another film that kind of did the same thing that The Simpsons did uh, was South Park, Bigger, Longer, and And Uncut. uncut. And this is a film that was actually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. It has a record number of swear words for a rated R movie. And also made a ton of money. But again, we're not going to go into that. Another animated movie, though, um, is the Batman animated movies that are actually based on a continuation of the Batman animated series specifically. There have been a ton of just Batman movies out there. But I specifically want to talk about the 90s animated series and then Mask of the Phantasm and Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero and the couple other movies that were all in that same creative line that told the same Batman story. Okay. Their animation, again, did what The Simpsons did, is you can kind of see that they had a little bit more of a budget than they did for just the individual episodes of the television show, where there's a little more CG uh, when he's flying the Batwing. Yeah, I remember Siskel and Ebert giving Mask of the Phantasm two thumbs up. And I remember seeing it in the theaters and thinking, how cool is this that I get to see an animated Batman movie on the big screen? I think I've mentioned before on this show, but Mask of the Phantasm is my favorite Batman movie. Wow. The Dark Knight is my favorite movie movie? with Batman in it and Joker movie until maybe I see the Joker and it it might move up the rungs or whatever. But the best movie about Batman, the character and the hero – is Mask of the Phantasm. Wow. Them's big words, Cole. Uh, now, another show that I want to talk about, it, this movie spawned a couple of sequels. I'm talking, of course, about The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, The Naked Gun 2 and a half, The Smell the, of Fear, and... The Naked Gun 3 30, and one, 33 and a third. 33 and a third. Now, these films were all based on a television show simply called Police Squad! Exclamation point. This is a show that lasted for only six episodes. Typically, when you're making a movie based on a TV show, you try to find a TV show that's a little more successful than Police Squad. But much like Firefly, yes. it was ahead of its time sure and was. really good quality, even if no one realized that to watch it. And even if you go back and watch these shows now, they are still funny. They were doing things on their sh- on the show that had never been done before that were just bonkers. Like they would tell you – they would have the voiceover telling you what the name of the episode was, but then the text on the screen was different from what the narrator was saying. And they would say, tonight's guest star in the opening credits, you know, William Shatner. And every time they had a guest star, they would kill off their guest star in the opening credits. And that was their that was their little cameo. But then my favorite part of these episodes was that – you know how so many episodes back in the day – during the scrolling credits, they would freeze the frame and the actors, you know, the, the, they would just freeze the frame. It was right? a freeze frame. Freeze frame. Yeah, I think that's clear now. <laughs> um, 
Well, on this show, what's not clear is the way the Naked Gun did it. Yes, on this show, the act they would just have the actors freeze in place. They weren't doing anything post production, so you could kind of see them like moving and like scratching an itch. Or there would be one character who realized that everybody else was frozen and he wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was just genius ahead of its time. And the movies are pretty darn funny, too. Talking about funny movies and even Oscar-nominated movies, Jeffrey, you've taught me something that I didn't know before. And that is that Borat was actually based on a television show? Yes, it was from – he was one of the characters on – Da Ali G show, mm-hmm. obviously, well, not obviously, but uh, portrayed by Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen. Cohen. And the movie did so well, it was nominated for a Best Original Screenplay nomination or a Best Original Screenplay Oscar. And the, the name of the movie is actually Borat Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Yeah. yeah. I remember that it was long. I just didn't actually remember what it was. Yeah, just showing that there can be some success going from the small screen to the big screen. You learn something new every day. And so I mentioned Firefly. Sci-fi and genre movies, sometimes genre TV has a tough time catching on, but it finds its audience later, right? Yeah. Firefly only got one season. Doctor Who ran for quite some time until it kind of petered out and then got a TV movie introducing us to the eighth Doctor. Uh, But the original run of Star Trek only had three seasons, which is mind-blowing to consider that there were ten-plus seasons of Voyager and Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation, and then Enterprise did well, and now we have Discovery, and there's just so much Star Trek in the world that this started as really kind of a failed, low-budget 60s TV show. It was when the movies continued the story with Star Trek The Motion Picture and then Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan and then The Search of Spock and The Voyage Home and Undiscovered Country. And then all the next generation movies and as well. And then it transitioned into Generations where now we're continuing the story of not only the movies but now another continued story of a different television show. But also the t- Star Trek property leans us into another category of TV movies that we want to talk about, and that is the reboot, when in 2009, Star Trek wiped the slate clean of all of these continuations and rebooted with a new timeline in-universe and a new cast. You know, I remember seeing this movie for the first time on an IMAX screen, being completely wowed, having so much fun, that I told my, I went home and I told my wife, no, really? We need to go see this movie again. And we saw it on this gigantic IMAX screen when we were in Canada. And it was a hoot. I would seriously, if I had to come up with a list of 10 or even five all-time fun times that I've had at the movies, this movie would be on the list. Oh, boy. I had that much fun seeing this film. And, I mean, I... If you couldn't tell by the joy that was in my voice after talking about all these Star Treks that preceded it, I grew up with all of the Star Treks. And this one was amazing as well. And I felt like it was my Star Trek, right? My parents brought me into the rest of the Star Treks and they grew up with the original series and they were adults and and young and married when the next generation continued the story. But now in 2009, when I'm just exiting high school, I had my own Star Trek to kind of hold to. And I love, 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 love this movie, which 
makes me all the more sad when you consider that its sequels and the way it continued weren't quite as good quality as that first one we got. You know, uh, another fun movie that you can find as a reboot on the silver screen is based on a TV show called Maverick. The movie is also called Maverick. No relation to Top Gun. Right. Yes. Uh, Maverick, the TV series, starred James Garner, and it had over 100 episodes, so it was successful as a TV show. When they did the movie, it was directed by Richard Donner, who directed The Goonies and all the Lethal Weapon films. So it's no surprise that this version of Maverick stars Mel Gibson. And James Garner also has a role in this film, but I don't want to spoil who you find out who he is later on in the film. Mm -hmm. But it's a fun movie. It's not a perfect movie. But uh, another one to check out if you haven't seen it. Maverick, a Western. Jodie Foster's in it. There are a bunch of fun cameos as well. James Coburn is another one that shows up. And uh, that also leads me to another old TV show that I've never seen the TV show. But, Cole, have you ever been to one of those test screenings for a movies or for a movie? Not like one of your pre-screenings that you get as a critic, mm-hmm. but one that they're still trying to work out all the kinks. Maybe the, not all the music is there. Maybe not all the, the special CGI effects are isn't there. Ready? That right. Kind of thing. Have you ever been to one of those? I haven't. I've been to a number of them. Nice. I've never really liked them. This one I loved. And again, I went home and I told my wife and I said, no, really, you're going to love this movie. And it was The Man from UNCLE. Unfortunately, this movie had a pretty big budget, did not make a ton of money back, which is unfortunate because they totally set it up for a sequel. Yeah. my I took my wife to see this when I was seeing it for the second time. She likes it more than I do. She loves this film. It probably doesn't hurt that Army Hammer and Henry Cavill are in it. And, yeah, they're pretty handsome guys. Yeah. So uh, she loves this film. And it was a hoot. I mean, it has Hugh Grant in it as well. Alicia Vikander, Academy Award winner Alicia Vikander. It was a serious take on a new spy thriller. It kind of hurts that it came out right around the same time as Steve Carell's Get Smart that was also Mm. based on a – old television show, but that one took more of the parody route that we'll get into a little bit more later. Right. But uh, a couple of others that we want to mention, I mean, one of the biggest and most successful reboots yeah, in franchise history. If you're history. not familiar with the Man from Uncle TV show and movie, you are familiar with Mission Impossible. Absolutely. They are now on their, they just came out with their sixth film. They're doing at least two more. Mm-hmm. And it's really shaping out to be an amazing franchise. Doing again with that first one, kind of surprising you, Ethan Hunt was a new character, and yet they did bring back one of the character names from the original TV series and did it in a way that kind of confused original fans. The same way Star Trek, when they went into an alternate universe, does different things from what the old TV fans expect. You mentioned Maverick kind of surprising you with that cameo from an actual actor from the original series. Sometimes when you reboot, you do got to start fresh and do your own thing. The last one I want to mention here is a movie that anytime it's on TV, we will sit down and watch it, even though we own the movie. And we've seen it a hundred times. I remember seeing this in the movie theater with my dad when I was, I believe, 11 years old. This film was nominated for Best Picture, and it was nominated, or it was based on a television show called 
The Fugitive. You love The Fugitive, Jeff. The movie is called The Fugitive, <laughs> starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones took home the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and rightfully so, for his portrayal of Sam Gerard, the U.S. Marshal that didn't care whether or not Richard Kimball killed his wife. He was still going to get his man anyway. And boy, what a fantastic piece of entertainment this is. That's the last Good one that we're going to talk about. We do want to <laughs> mention all the attempts at rebooting television series from the 60s, 70s, and so on. Uh, the A-Team was such a bad reboot that I thought that it was a parody that we're going to mention <laughs> later on. The Flintstones is one that everyone recognizes with... Rosie O'Donnell as John Goodman, Rick Moranis, Elizabeth Perkins, Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, lots of people in that. A reboot of an original cartoon, making it live action, and in what quite possibly could be the largest failure in trying to translate cartoons into live action. M. Night Shyamalan did take on Avatar The Last Airbender in his movie where he tried to capture an entire season and reboot it into a movie, and it was not great. But Nickelodeon has some other successes up their sleeve, and that's what we want to talk about and turn our eyes to when we get back here on Screen Cleaning. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! I can't hear you! Aye, aye, Captain! Oh! Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants. If you don't know that theme song from, from if The Simpsons isn't like the most recognized cartoon in the history of television for the new generation spongebob certainly should be right yeah i guess i've i don't even know if i've seen an entire episode of spongebob but i have your old jeff i have seen the spongebob squarepants uh sponge out of water movie ah but is that as good as the original spongebob squarepants movie i wouldn't know with david hasselhoff i've never seen it but the the one that i mentioned has antonio banderas in it Nickelodeon has such a weird history of the way they've done their movies. They have all of these properties for kids. And in the summertime, you want to get kids and their parents to the movie theaters. So why not toss your cartoons onto the big screen? Again, kind of tackling with uh, the what The Simpsons and we talked about Batman, the animated series, doing, where the animation looks a little different when you put it on the big screen. You have a bigger budget. So... I remember the Rugrats movie, Rugrats in Paris, and when Rugrats meet the wild thornberries, it was a much more polished look to these uh, babies than they had whenever they were on the television. And also, of course, if you mention the Rugrats movies, you have to mention the awesome orange VHS tapes that they came in whenever (laughs) it went out on home video. All of the Nickelodeons embraced their orange Nickelodeon splat logo with orange VHS tapes. I can't tell you how important Nickelodeon was to me as a kid. Now, having said that, I've seen hardly any of these the hey Nickelodeon movie, movies. No. The Doug movie. No, by the time they started making movies based on Nickelodeon TV shows, I was too old to watch Nickelodeon. And I was just the right age. Yeah, I was enjoying all the TV shows that are like back in the early 90s and yeah they they weren't in, as interested in a cash grab and they didn't make a that... salute your shorts movie no really? no <laughs> they didn't make a ren and stimpy movie they huh. didn't make an are you afraid of the dark movie or pete Weird. and pete 
So yeah, basically all the animated ones they figured, well, here's a here's a good cash grab. Let's put it on the big screen. Except for the one time that Nickelodeon made a movie as a cash grab to try to turn it into a TV show later. Do the old old reverse switcheroo. Uh-huh. What was that? Jimmy Neutron, <sighs> Boy Genius was a movie about this boy genius that had trouble kind of relating to his classmates because he was too smart. Um, And eventually he had to learn the value of kind of relating to people rather than staying like true to his, you know, basically he had to humble himself a little bit to actually get along with his classmates. And they had to save their parents from the aliens that came and got them. It has an amazing scene in the movie where they turn all of these carnival rides into spaceships as they go out into space to save their parents. A really, That's really cute. nifty movie cute. that turned into a TV show for quite a few years for Nickelodeon, which takes us into another little subcategory of when other you know, better live action or, you know, more adult fare, try to do that same thing where they turn the tables. They Mm. had a successful movie and then they try to get a TV show out of it. Well, MASH comes to mind. That's a huge one. Huge example. Yeah. Let's let's start with the ones where the TV show ended up being maybe better than the movie. And I think MASH falls in that category. I would put Buffy the Vampire Slayer in that category. Oh, Cole, I love the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The TV show is far superior. And then also Stargate, where similar to Buffy, they like recast the main lead to the great effect of the television show and were able to go into more depth in a Monster of the Week or Planet of the Week scenario on the TV show. Now, what about the uh, TV shows that weren't as good as the movie they were based on. Horror is chuck full of these examples, especially recently where it seems like every horror movie has since got a little TV show run. The Evil Dead, Scream, From Dusk to Dawn, Exorcist. Hannibal, I think, comes close to some of the later Hannibal movies. Not as good as Silence of the Lambs, probably. Also, you know, there's other weird ones like Lethal Weapon, where there's all of a sudden a rebooted television show of this famous 90s movie which has done quite well for fox but then one of the leads got fired and the other lead quit so who knows what the future that show is anyway so there are the films that are based on television shows that want to honor the television shows on which they were based but then there are others that realize you know what we need to kind of change the tone in order for this to be successful and there are three film franchises that have done that to great effect. The first one being The Adams Family. I remember seeing this film for Thanksgiving when it came out, and it was so amazing to see Wednesday and Pugsley get into this sword fight and all the gushing blood and, you know, fake gore because they were just putting on a, a pretend fight. But uh, this movie did so well that. They made a sequel out of it, and I actually prefer the sequel to the original Adams Family movie. But the Adams Family was a really old television show, and so at some point you do have to poke a little fun at some of the goofier things that cropped up when it was the 60s, right? And then the Brady Bunch and its sequel did this even more. So basically they're taking these families from the 60s and putting them in modern times, and but not changing their behavior at all, and seeing what it's but like. But letting the rest of the cast yes. and the modern people around them kind of stare at awe at these kind of weird 60s, out-of-place people. Right. Brady Bunch. So there was 
the Brady Bunch movie and a very Brady, Brady sequel, sequel, which was fitting because all their TV movies were like a very Brady Christmas special or whatever, you know. So very funny. This stayed the heart of the TV show. Right. Another franchise that has done quite well and it really is a spoof of the TV show on which it was based because they keep poking fun at all of these all of these uh, elements from the TV show and that's 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Uh-huh. And then in the post credits 23, 24, 25, 26, yes. 27. <laughs> Funny movies very rated R so be mindful of that. But other than those movies that are based on television shows that are meant to be parodies of the TV shows have not done well outside of those three franchises. This one might have the largest example of yep. movies trying to do it, and yet the smallest example of ones that have succeeded. Because when you look at Chips, Baywatch, um, Bewitched, and Dark Shadows especially do the same thing. They they follow the same formula as Adam's Family as and Brady Bunch, just just not good doing it. Right. Land of the Lost with Will Ferrell. He likes these reboots for some reason. Dudley Do-Right, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Those were the cartoon things that were trying to embrace kind of the idea of, oh, what if a cartoon was now live action, but still goofy and wacky and cartoony. Right. And then speaking of parody, there is the next category that we want to talk about. And that is movies that are based on sketch comedy. Now, when you think of that, where does your mind go first, Cole? Saturday Night Live. Right, because they've made so many films based on Saturday Night Live sketches. Not really anymore because I don't know what that means, Cole. Either they know that they're not profitable or they know that it's just not as funny maybe as it used to be. I think the Saturday Night Live stars themselves are just preferring to go and do other projects. Like they're going into movies that are already built as opposed to just trying to build off of the success. And and honestly, Saturday Night Live just isn't as successful. It doesn't get the viewership, isn't in the the public's mind as much as it was in the 80s when everyone knew the sketch of the Coneheads. Right. Or, and so when you make a movie about that, then everyone goes to see it. Right. The most uh, recent example of a Saturday Night Live movie that came out was McGruber. And Which, by the way, I only know from Michael Scott season seven's uh, Halloween party when he dresses up as McGruber. <laughs> and it's interesting because this was a film that came out in 2010. That was the most recent example that we have. And Cole, I'm really quickly, I just want to do a little experiment here. Of all these Saturday Night Live sketch movies, which ones have you seen? The Waterboy. Yes. Oh, you have. Oh, that's you started out with the only one, and that one's kind oh. of a cheat because it's kind of a it's kind of spun off from a Weekend Update character of Adam Sandler's. Mm-hmm. Did you see Little Nicky? No. Coneheads. No. Night at the Roxbury. Nope. Stuart saves his family. Nope. Superstar. Nah. MacGruber. No. It's Pat. Nope. The Ladies Man. Not. No. Blues Brothers and Blues Brothers Two Thousand. No. And no. Really. And uh, Wayne's World One and Two. Nope. Nah. Whoa. So you've only... Oh, here's one that you may not have known was based on a Saturday Night Live sketch. It was actually based on a Saturday Night Live animated short. And it's this really crudely drawn sketch 
of this boss going <laughs> into a room, speaking with this lowly employee who's just not sticking up for himself. And the the employee's name was Milton, and I believe that's what these shorts were called as well, Milton. Ah, uh, did Milton have a stapler? Yes, he did, ah. and it was Office Space. Now I've seen that movie. Yes, but this... did I know that it was based on anything beforehand? Not at no. All. So we thought we'd interest you with that. It uh, was made for not a lot of money. Did not vi- make very much movie when it or money when it came out in the theaters. But boy, oh boy, this one when it came out on DVD. And VHS, people went crazy for. And it's one of the better examples of a sketch that has translated well into a film. Now, we don't just want to talk about Saturday Night Live because there are many other sketch comedy groups that have successfully made their humor into a movie. And I think the reason why I haven't seen a lot of these SNL movies is because I wasn't watching SNL in the 80s and early to mid 90s when the sketches were happening. So I didn't have that love. Like, I again, I know what the Coneheads are. I understand the concept, but I've never actually watched through an entire sketch or seen the entire movie because in the 90s, I was a kid and I was watching all that, which Ah. was the kid version of SNL, which means I have definitely seen... The Good Burger movie. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? Yeah, Kel Mitchell, Keenan Thompson. He loves orange soda, man. Yes, he does. Now, another one, we, oh, come on. This is a huge example of a film that is huge in the United States, at least, based on the sketch comedy work of Monty Python. We're talking, of course, I've Monty heard of Python a couple of Monty Python movies and but the Holy the Grail. Holy Grail is right. The, best. the Holy Grail is the Holy Grail of sketch movies. Probably, I, w- I would venture to say the best movie based on a sketch comedy troupe, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's certainly the most quotable movie, I think, like statistically just of all time. If you went out and surveyed 100 people to quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail, someone's got some impression up their sleeve of the Knights Who Say Knee or the knight with just a flesh wound or (laughs) the coconuts galloping through or many, many, many of the moments from the Holy Grail. So much to quote from that movie. Now, while Americans were, uh, American stars on Saturday Night Live were making it big and and, uh, transitioning to film, there were also some Canadians that were making it big in Canada on a show called SCTV, which was Canada's answer to Saturday Night Live. Rick Moranis was on that Rick cast, Moranis, right? Rick Moranis, John Candy. Ah. You've got Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy. And um, Rick Moranis actually took one of his characters to the big screen in a film called Strange Brew. Have you ever seen that one, Cole? I have not, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, this is a film about a couple of uh, brew-loving guys that uh, are just easygoing, and their characters' names are Bob and Doug McKenzie. This is a this is one that is like has a huge cult following, and uh, yeah, another successful example of making it to the big screen based on a sketch. Did you know that the Ernest movies? were based on these little commercials. <laughs> I guess with I'm not Jim surprised. Barney. He's an interesting character. Right. A ton of Ernest movies were made. So they must have done something right because they kept making them. So it was a they were commercials first, then they were TV shows. 
And then another one from Canada based on kind of another version of a Saturday Night Live, but for Canada. This one was actually produced by Lauren Michaels, and who is also Canadian. <laughs> the Kids in the Hall and their movie Brain Candy. And we mentioned British sketch comedy. I think... Mr. Bean was actually a, a proper mm-hmm. TV show, but they were shorts, right? And all of these Mr. Bean movies that we've gotten since uh, seem to fit this category kind of well as well, even if it was a longer form than a sketch in its original format. So there you have it, a bunch of examples of t- or of movies based on TV shows, some more successful than others, but there's one movie based on a TV show that we are excited to talk to you about up next here on Screen Cleaning when we give you our review of Downton Abbey. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that then? I've heard worse. You liar! Come on, you pansy! Dun, 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 dun. Jeff is obsessed wah, wah, with this idea wah, 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 wah. that Downton Abbey and the X-Files sound similar. Dun, 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 dun. And we've done it before <laughs> on the show, so go back and, and look at our rip-offs episode. Uh, where Jeff featured that little observation that YouTube made for him and then he found. No, 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 no. I made the observation and I just – it was one of those things where you're like, I, I think this way. Somebody else has to have thought this way too. And then sure enough, plenty of other people did. Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So anyway – Let's talk Downton. Downton. I do want to mention though before we get too deep into this review that we have a very special guest that we have cordially invited and his – his presence was officially requested as we Ooh. celebrate Downton Abbey Day here on Screen Cleaning. Rod Gustafson, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Well, after Hi, that Rod. introduction, I'm 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 a little brain dead on Downton. You know, what? okay, well, so you're I, Canadian. Oh, you should have seen every episode. And my mother-in-law of loves it. Okay. Shout out to my mother-in-law. <laughs> I'll get her to start listening. Cole had only seen a couple of episodes going into this movie, and you you made an observation earlier for people that are not as familiar with this movie. What should they do, Cole? Right. So we wanted to come at this with two different perspectives. Jeff has seen every episode. I have not. So can you enjoy the movie if you have every not? Every episode, Jeff. Every, every single one. one. Every wow. single one. But can you enjoy the movie yeah, if you haven't seen that's every my episode? Because this is a continuation. I would say yes. As long as you're willing to enjoy some soap opera drama and as long as you're sitting next to someone that has seen every episode so that you can <laughs> kind of elbow them and say, yeah. hey, so who's that? And who are they married to? And why is that funny? And Right. They're, they're really, they really don't spend too much time trying to cater to people that are not as versed. They spend in zero time catching you up. In right. fact, there are, there are a couple new characters introduced in this movie, and I elbowed Jeff and said, hey, who's that? And he said, we don't know yet. And I said, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cole and his friend were talking the entire movie, and I thought the people <laughs> next to me were going to you know, tell them to be quiet. Or, <laughs> there you know, was plenty of laughing and enjoying during the movie. No, yeah. And I think you hit upon something, Cole, when you said uh, soap opera. This is – I remember when an uncle and aunt of mine once said that this is high-class 
soap opera. Yeah. It really is. It's super cheesy. There's a lot of overacting in it, but it's nothing really different from what you saw on the TV show. Now, having said that... Production-wise, too, though. Oh, yeah. With Prestige TV, we've been kind of building up the fact that television looks like movies nowadays, and so it was kind of weird to see it to you. I'd, I'd seen two or three episodes, and to be honest, this looked exactly the same. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they had this big extra budget, and I'm glad of that, right? They kept the spirit of the show, but why'd we go see it on a big screen when I can watch the same quality Ooh. stuff at home on Amazon Prime? It's because you want to be a part of the discussion, Cole, and really you want them to keep making these movies because we have established – it's cheesy, but it's so much fun. I had such a good time at and the movie theater. I think there's another reason, too. I think the the idea of coming together in a big room with 400 other fans of the series where you where you take in the movie together, I think that's another that's another big pull for it. It's like you have the big party together. You know, we everybody yeah. loves it, and they all meet. I People, think Rod is overestimating the box office <laughs> returns and the size of our theater here. There you, were only about... The theater was not full when we saw well, Downton Abbey. Well, to be fair, night. we were seeing the ten o'clock showing. Who knows how yeah. full the seven thirty showing was? I am willing to come back on here. See, this is my way of getting back on your show. <laughs> we'll watch next week. I think this thing's going to do very, very well. But and there's not a whole lot out there to compete. And the wide, the wide age demographic that this appeals to, I think it'll make money. But what if it was going up against a sci-fi epic starring Brad Pitt and his star power in Ad Astra? Cole, what is this about? Ad Astra is the story of astronaut Brad Pitt um, coming to grips with his humanity and reestablishing a long-lost relationship with his dad, astronaut Tommy Lee Jones, through very subtle and understated acting and science fiction and traveling to the outer reaches of our solar system and Neptune. All right. Now, Cole, tell people why this is the best movie of the year so far. Well, I only fell asleep twice during it. And and <laughs> little known fact, Cole and I used to be the same age, but then he, when he woke up, he had been in oh, hypersleep for yeah. that long. Okay, so you're thinking of Interstellar. I can see how you'd get confused <laughs> because this is our annual just self-serious space movie that First Man and Gravity and Interstellar and The Martian and all of these kind of fit into and they all just kind of blend together to me. But, Jeff, you liked Ad Astra a little more than I do, so really tell the people why they should go see it. It's my favorite movie of the year so far. And I looked around me kind of trying to gauge audience reaction. This is a movie that I think is going to be very divisive. Uh, On Rotten Tomatoes, as the audience scores come in, they're not terribly high, but I don't care if nobody else likes this movie. If I liked it this much, I'm glad they made it. And it's probably not going to make as much money as I hope it will. Or as much as Downton Abbey. But, Cole, you're right. It's difficult to watch this movie and not think of a lot of other space movies that have come before it. But I just love the acting. I love... The intense scenes throughout the movie, it's best to go into this movie blind, not knowing very much about it, and seeing it on the biggest possible screen you can. We both got to see it in IMAX. Right. You want to feel all of the explosions rumble through your entire body. You want to walk into the movie theater and say, whoa, that's a big screen. 
and just know that you are going to be in for a visual and character-driven treat. Who doesn't love them? Some Tommy Lee Jones. We've, yeah. we've been talking yeah. about TV shows, and, and like I said, Downton Abbey I don't think makes that transition to the big screen like Star Trek. I don't think the original continuations made the transition well to the big screen, but Ad Astra is meant and born on the big screen, and it's sound design and technical. I think this is your early front runner for all of the technical Oscars. For sure, and I would love to see Brad Pitt get recognized Recognized for, as you said, his very understated performance. Mm-hmm. Um, just to sum it all up, though, one other thing I would say about this movie is that I felt so refreshed because I felt like it was the only movie I've seen this year that has provided me with something different. I feel everything else before this has just been all the same. And I know we've said this is similar to other movies, but it was just a different experience and I loved it. See it on the tallest screen that you can with the best sound as right tallest screen because if you don't want to make your way out to the movies this weekend there is a movie that you can see at home that has to do with tall right Rob, now that i feel like your giggles always underestimate uh jeff's ability to segue in this show That was a segue. My goodness. Yes. IMAX screen to tall girl. Here we go. This is, yeah, let's, we're going to talk about one of Netflix releases, which is, of course, directly released to their network. And sometimes Netflix gets some criticism because most of their indigenous product, the stuff they make for Netflix, really isn't made for families or for kids. But here's one that is. And this is a movie that is about, surprise, a tall girl. (laughs) And she's in high school. She's six feet, one inches tall. And she gets constantly teased. And so this is a movie about being different. And, and I mean, this movie follows absolutely the, the being different formula in high school and many, many other movies that have gone before it. So as I watch it, having seen so many of these movies, I have to keep thinking in my mind that for the 13 to 16-year-old audience, that narrow little range that this movie's really targeted at, they turn over about every three to five years. And so this retread stuff could still be new to them. So I really had to put myself in that mind. Don't expect incredible acting. Don't expect a a mind-blowing drama here. But it does serve a purpose. Now, here's the irony of this movie. Uh, The the tall girl is played by Ava Michelle. And I believe she's, um, I think she's about 17, 18 years old. But um, ironically, there's this show called Dance Moms, which I'm sorry, I think it's on Lifetime. I haven't watched it. But we've got a little clip from about five years ago. Chloe. Who does this to their kid? Ava, you're too tall for us today. You're cut. Thank you. You can go. <laughs> so there is, that is clear enough for you? There is Ava with her mom. I, I guess that's her mom. I don't know. It's dance, dance moms if they're, it, it's supposed to be reality. And she's getting cut for being too tall. So now here she is in a Netflix drama where she is the tall girl. And this movie's getting a lot of buzz on the Twitterverse and whatnot. So it's actually, there's some attention coming to it. A good um, feel-good movie, Rod? It is. It's a bit of a feel-good movie. And the other thing, though, that they did do is every other character in this movie is short, just to make Ava look even <laughs> taller. So yep. Yeah. So And uh, it does have, she does have a really nice relationship with her older sister 
Pastor. I appreciated that. And Steve Zahn plays the father, and I could talk about oh. how much I want to see Steve Zahn in 20 more serious movies one day. That that guy is one of those hardworking Hollywood guys who just doesn't get enough respect. See, that's probably all I need to convince my wife to watch this movie. Steve Zahn is in it. Okay, I'll yeah. watch it. Yeah, I love Steve Zahn. He's not in it enough, but he's in it. Well, thank you, Rod. We'll have to check out The Tall Girl on Netflix right now. It And the price of admission is just right if you're already paying for Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we do with it, each and every episode of Screen Cleaning, we like to go a little, do a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. <laughs> are you like a lot of parents that are just itching to show your kids some of the classic movies that you have loved and enjoyed throughout the years, but really you can't do so in good conscience because of the content? Well, then you are going to love this news that uh, we read about on TheVerge.com, and it is that if you're familiar with Vudu, you'll know that they've got this partnership with Walmart. You can rent and purchase movies. They even have some movies that are available for free with ads, of course, and uh, you can go on there now and apply this little filter called Vudu Family Play. Which will let you filter out some of the objectionable content that keeps you from showing these movies to your kids in the first place, right? Interesting. Now, it's brand new, but this is huge news because Sony tried something similar not too long ago. And it lasted all of about three days before directors and people within the industry started complaining and threatening them. And Walmart is a huge... Corporation, they, they do all right for themselves. Yeah, they do okay. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I, for one, hope that it succeeds and that, you know, people see that there is a market for this kind of thing. But I love that it it opens up this forum for people to have conversations. And I think that's a good thing. And I, for one, am somebody that is likely that likely to use this service. At least try it out and see if it works. One more entry into family-friendly streaming, and that's what we're all about here on the show, is shining an extra spotlight on all that's good in new entertainment and in the entertainment world. Thanks, Jeff. And that's what we do each and every week here on Screen Cleaning, and you can find us here each and every week on uh, BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, and if you listen on BYU Radio, you want to tune in 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, or download the podcast. Podcasts are everywhere, That's right. We want to thank Rod Gustafson once again for being here. Thanks, Rod. It was a blast. And we'll be back next week to give you the very best in entertainment. This is Screen Cleaning.